We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. Let me, I'm also producing the show also, so let me, let me center myself. I'm moving, I'm moving up. Okay, I'm a little bit better over there. But welcome, welcome to the DFS pregame show. I'm Jordan Cooper. Uh, I'm I'm the host, I'm the producer, I'm the proprietor of uh, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass you could uh, get at theoryofdfs.com. I'm here Every weekday morning here on Roto Grinders YouTube, Roto Grind on the website. You can go there. You can click and you can watch the show there. You can chat in the YouTube chat there as well. And uh, and I go over yesterday's slate. All right, we talk a little bit about strategy. We talk a little bit, a little bit about cash games. A lot about GPPs. I answer your questions in the chat. If you're in the chat right now, hit that thumbs up button. Give me the thummy thumbs. Give me the thumb thumbs. Keep my apple juice cold. 
in the morning. I see, I see Card Fan here. I see Michael Lingelfelter here. Bill DeVault. Okay, oh, there's, here, here we go with uh, Bill DeVault. He's one, one of our Discord moderators. He, if you say some naughty words, he comes after you. Uh, Eric Johnson in the chat. Frederick Dude in the chat. I see, I see plenty, plenty of people in the chat. You chat people, you're, you're, you're my priority. If you have any questions about DFS, just in general, how to use the tools on Roto Grinders, you need, you need some help in some way, just show up here on YouTube, 11 in the morning, any weekday, and, and I talk about it, because sometimes we talk about yesterday's slate a lot, sometimes we talk about today's slate a bunch, right? It's, it's the NBA, there's an 11-game slate today, right? News is going to drop three hours from now, and then four hours from now, and then seven hours from now, that's going to make whatever I say right now, and the projections that we're looking at, uh, kind of pointless. So, so we could talk about overall strategies of maybe how we attack today's slate, 11-game slate, but a lot of times we're looking back at, at, at yesterday, we're looking through results DB, where we're, we're looking to see what sharper players did, how you could then apply those concepts to future slates, not just today's slate, but overall slates in general, not just basketball even. MLB, NFL, any any of those types of things. So that's that's why I come here. This is what I do. This is what I do in the morning. When I wake up, typically around 11 o'clock in the morning, I look on ResultsDB and I start studying. I go, okay, that was interesting. Who swapped here? Who did that? Right, okay, looks like this guy forgot about that, right? You take a look at some sharper players and see how they constructed lineups in GPPs. So I, I, I come here and, and learn with me in the mornings or listen to the podcast there's, there's a podcast feed. Subscribe on iTunes or, or whatever podcast player, wherever you get your podcasts. <coughs> Search for uh, the DFS pregame show. Uh, feel free to rate and review it there. So, uh, so okay, we got, we got, a, we already got, we already got the chat going up here. Uh, I'm gonna Michael Lingelfelter is, uh, is gonna talk. I gotta move this down over here. Uh, explain my thought process for my winning single entry lineup. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. I know a lot of people yesterday. We're like, well, what's the difference between MME versus single entry, which really there isn't, just field size matters, not necessarily the, you know, how many entries you have. Uh, but here, here we go. Like Matt S, I have three tickets to the NBA Monster, 444, tilts for building three lineups, sharp field with ownership, well-projected plays. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going through Matt Mears. PGAs when there's a smaller player pool and not ready many correlation for GPPs aside from projections, are you primarily leveraging ownership? Yes. PGA, there's really not much. There's really no correlation, right? So uh, sometimes there's like, oh, long hitters do well at this course and short hitters, but a lot of times, if you if you if you if you back tested that all, you'll find short hitters that win there. And it, a lot of the times, the correlation. Sometimes with the weather, if you get a like, you could always do. Uh, you know, oh, the tea time correlation, because the late wave is going to hit a storm or something. Uh, occasionally, you could do stuff like that. Okay, let's see. Uh, tons of questions. Uh, let, 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 let me go over the review before we get tons of questions. So uh, so I know I know the YouTube people, I take care of you. But uh, you don't have to just barge in, barge in, and just ask, answer my question, answer my question. So so let, let's, let's, pull up, let's pull up the cash game tracker from, from yesterday. From yesterday, okay. I, I I did I did I did well yesterday. Uh, we we looked down here and uh, not on DraftKings. DraftKings didn't didn't kind of get there, but FanDuel did well. Yahoo did well. So all combined, an extra seven hundred eight hundred dollars, right around a little little under eight hundred dollars more into the bankroll. So you can see right here for for cash games, I started with a twenty thousand dollar bankroll, which is you know a portion of my my actual bankroll. 
and then playing 10% of it a day and, you know, using the RG projections and there you go. So doing very well on FanDuel, doing decently on DK. As long as I'm above 55% in this win column over here, that means that means I'm profitable, right? Because of the rake. And then Yahoo, I'm kind of catching up there. It's kind of hard to get a, it's hard to get soft action, a good, good volume uh, there. I'm not going to just start taking six bands with like five of the sharper players. So, so here we go with the cash game stuff. But, uh, but everyone wants to talk about the GPPs yesterday, right? GPPs yesterday, Roto Grinders. Uh, we did, we did it all. We did it all. Squirrel Patrol on FanDuel uh, took down the, the the main GPP for a hundred thousand. Uh, Eric Beimford came in second in one of the the smaller uh, high entry ones for forty thousand. He also won the Thunderdome on DK for fifty thousand. And uh, and Crafty Lefty, who uh, stops by in our our, our chat. On, on RG Discord every so often. Crafty Lefty, he won the large field uh, GPP on DraftKings for $100,000. So it feels like I'm, I'm inadequate to show my my little win, my little my little $5,000 win. Because I've, I've been focusing a lot on now. In the new year, one of my resolutions was to focus more on small field type of play. Single entry, three max, but it doesn't have to be three max. It could be 10 max, but... A little bit higher stakes, like this is the hundred dollar. This is the smaller hundred dollar showtime. So it's a three hundred and thirty field, three hundred thirty player contest. It's a single entry, but I'm focusing more. Yesterday, I, I played cash and I played five lineups. I played one. I played the mid range jumper, the forty dollar. I played the main showtime. Basically, I played the two fifty, the one hundred, the one hundred, and the two forties. And I just hand built uh, five lineups. I'm. I don't need an optimizer for that. I, I hand built for so long that I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't need a tool to do it for me. The tool is there just for for efficiency's sake. So here's my lineup, and uh, people wanted to talk about uh, like how did I get to the lineup? Okay, first off, get projections. Okay, I can't do any of this without without RG Premium projections. You could sign up to Premium RotoGrinders.com/slash/premium or click on the link. In the description, and uh, you get $10 off your first month. If it wasn't for the projections team, the projections team are the basketball people. They're the model people, right? Jamino and his model, great. And then you got Meansy, you got Tuttle, you got SPK, you got Reeves, you got Alan Lem, you got you got a but- Dodo. They know they, they're looking anytime there's a new starting lineup, anytime that uh, we saw yesterday, Paul George, he's questionable. Uh, what happens then, right? You know, uh, how many minutes is someone going to get? You know, like those types of things, how much usage? Now that now that George is out, Kennard's going to be in the first unit. Now who's going to get the usage in the second unit? Like that's what they're figuring out. That's what our team at Roto-Grinders does. I trust them. So I wait for them to update the projections and then I just trust the projections, right? So they're going to put in the minutes. They're going to figure out the usage and everything. And then the model is going to go through all the predictive variables and, and give me the range of outcomes of the simulation, and boom, there you go. So, like, without projections, I can't do any of this, right? I don't look at matchups. I don't even know the totals of the game most of the time. I don't know the spreads. I don't know who's going to blow out. Who. I don't know any of this. I just I just, I just look at the projections. That's that's why you get that answer. When people ask me about players, they're like, oh, you're, uh, you're being bit of an asshole by saying, you know, look at the projections. Like, dude, that's what I, like, that's what I would look at. Like, that's, you ask, ask Andy, ask Andy a basketball question. Me, I'm, I'm a, uh, the names on the spreadsheet person. 
So if you're going to tell me, uh, if you're going to ask me, uh, who do you like, uh, C.J. McCollum or uh, D'Angelo Russell? It's like, oh, whatever the, whatever the projections say, right? There's the answer sheet for me. That's, you could you just go straight to the horse's mouth by doing this. So this, this was the $100 uh, Showtime and uh, hand-built lineup. See, you could win. See, I like the fact you could win with snowflakes, even in, in the smaller field stuff, right? So, and also you don't have to get like super, you know, I didn't need Jared Allen, right? I didn't need Jared Allen. I, I didn't need, I didn't even need Kawhi, right? I, I didn't need like, I didn't need, well, I needed Hernan Gomez. But you, like, you don't need like the, the 2% owned guy that gets 50 points. In large field, you do. In large field, you kind of have to have the nuts to, 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 to some extent. So, uh, so thought process. Uh, Josh McGuire, just uh, just quickly answer the question. Oh, it's all I can't I, I can't ever move this up or down depending on the screen on my broadcast software. Just signed up for premium on Rodeo uh, Roto. How do I pri- pri- properly use the optimizer to build lineups that are full of heavy owned players? Is there easy tool to use? Yeah, we have, we have tons of videos on how to use Lineup HQ. You could there are pre- there are free videos that I've done. You could you can find that on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel or my YouTube channel. I have a whole like a Roto Grinders tutorial playlist. Uh, but if you're a premium member, go into go to the videos page the, uh, under tutorials, click on tutorials and scroll. You'll find tons of premium videos that I did, uh, Britt did, Scholar Patrol did, Andy did, everyone did. So so to learn how to build GPP lineups with uh, with Lineup HQ. Uh, okay. So yesterday, okay, we, we had two interesting things yesterday. Yesterday we had uh, Durant being out, but we knew that, right? We came in, we came into the slate, and we knew Durant was going to be out. So, but the thing is, is that we didn't know what the next starting lineup was going to be, right? We like before the slate start, we're going okay. It's going to be Kyrie, it's going to be Joe Harris, it's going to be probably Jeff Green, uh, DeAndre Jordan. We don't know. Maybe Levert doesn't start. Maybe Levert is the guy off the bench, but he closes the halves. So we kind of have a, a sense of that. And then they, the Nets announced the starting lineup. Joe Harris wasn't in it, right? Bruce Brown comes from the dead, right? He DMP'd. He didn't even play. He wasn't even in the rotation, and now he's starting. So now you have to figure out what the hell is going on. You have you have Irving, you have Brown, you have uh, Torian Prince, Jeff Green, and Jarrah Allen starting, and you're going. Oh, is Joe Harris just not playing? Is 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 he coming off the bench? You, you have no idea. So now, now everything's up in flux. Now people are just asking, you know, what what the hell's going on? So you know, our team just got together and said that you know, who knows what this minutes the the variance on these minutes could be ridiculous. So yeah, you could play Bruce Brown. You could play Torian Prince. You could play, you could play Jeff Green. You could play a lot of these guys, but like that range of outcomes is going to be much wider. But I knew that the Nets were going to be popular, right, because of Durant being out. And I knew, like, uh, like most people, like, the, the chalk build would have Kyrie and Jokic. Because the center position yesterday was kind of, you you played Ed Davis for value. I mean, like, that that's how bad it was. People played Ed Davis. I mean, I played him in cash, but, I mean, people played that. So most likely you're going to see Kyrie Irving and Jokic lineups, which means that mid-price centers... Because most people were going to either go up to Jokic or go down to like an Ed Davis type, Jeff Green in the in the center spot. So, and in the guard spot, people were going to go up to Kyrie Irving. So that was the construction that most people were going to use. And then fill out cheap nets. Cheap nets and Horton Tucker, I guess, 
right, in a in a, a shooting fo- a small forward spot because he he wasn't horribly projected. It's a five game slate. Uh, so basically, all of the other higher priced guards were going to be underowned because of that. So guys like Lillard, McCollum, DeRozan. Well, DeRozan's now at, at forward positions. Uh, Russell, like all those types of guys, Levine, White, Levine was owned though. So Levine, it was somewhere in the middle of ownership. So like, this is where like leverage exists. So if you don't play Kyrie, then you're most likely not going to play Mitchell or Gobert, right? And you're probably not going to play the cheap nets either. So it's kind of like, how do I X out that game? Do I play that game or do I X out that game? I wanted to get off the chalk construction of basically Kyrie plus Jokic, cheap nets, right? And then fill it out. Like that was going to be the kind of the chalky years type of stuff. I could probably go down and find, here's Empire Maker, right? He uses his, he uses his cash lineup and everything, right? So this, this was the chalk build, right? Obviously now Leonard, once you swapped off, we'll talk about that in a second. So this was the chalk build or like playing like four nets, three or four nets, Ed Davis, Jokic, you know, this was the build. So when, when, when you're playing GPPs, you need to identify what the chalk build is because that's what you're leveraging off of. Like a lot of people think in terms of, oh, I'm going to play exactly this. And then instead of playing Torian Prince, I'm going to play PJ Dozier. Like you're not getting much leverage doing that, right? It's the same lineup just with another guy that's only going to score 15 points. Right. Oh, well, if 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 PJ Dozier scores 17 and Prince scores 13, that means I win a GPP. No, you're you're only leveraged off of like one person on the line. Like you didn't do anything. You really didn't gain that much by doing so. So you take a look at this type of lineup. People wanted single entry advice. This is very good for hand building single entry and just learning the concepts so that when you are playing 20, 50, 100 entries, you could tell the optimizer how to build these types of lineups. So it's not a matter of the optimizer doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't tell you what to do. It's only a calculator that you put in the inputs and then it does whatever you want it to do. So when you're saying, oh, I'm getting a lot of this guy, it's like, it's, it, it doesn't know. It's like you're based on your constraints and your groups and your settings. Like that's, 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 those are the highest projected lineups based on you, based on that. But you have to tell it that, well, in my Kyrie Irving lineups, don't play uh, Donovan Mitchell. Right, that type of thing. In these type, don't play Jokic and Irving in the same lineup. Those those types of things you have to tell it. It doesn't know. So I look at this chalk construction. I look at this chalk construction and go, okay, well, if I'm gonna fade, I'm gonna either fade one of Irving or Jokic, right? I don't want to be part of this this chalk construction with all this ownership, right? Levine, this is in the single entry, right? Forty seven percent of Kawhi, forty on Levine, forty one on Jokic. I mean, like. Torian Prince was 42%. Jeff Green was 37%. It's like, how do I avoid? I was thinking in terms of how do I avoid cheap nets? So I'm like, okay, let me think of how I could build by avoiding cheap nets. But then by doing so, I need to play guys like Horton Tucker, Batum, and Hernan Gomez. Okay? So if I just, I can't fill this in, I still need just a, a shooting guard. Right? I'm still stuck with a Bruce Brown there. Right? I'm still stuck. Because if I keep this construction... Like I, 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 I can't, I can't play one of Irving or Jokic by avoiding cheap nets. So I have to decide, am I going to fade Irving or Jokic in this lineup? Right. I decided since I'm fading cheap nets, why don't I just fade all of them? Right. Why not just fade them all? Fade a 53% on Kyrie Irving for 
there were ceiling guards available. I mentioned all those guards. All those, yes, Kyrie was projected higher. But not to the extent higher that Kyrie is 53% owned and McCollum is 20% owned and Russell's 13% owned, right? Does Russell beat Kyrie? You know, does Kyrie beat Russell you know, four times more often? No. I mean, it, he beats him more often, but not four times more often. So I thought there was more leverage at the guard spots. So that's why I take Kyrie out of the lineup. I go, okay, if I'm not playing Kyrie, I'm not playing cheap nets. That means I'm probably not playing the Jazz either, right? Right, because they kind of correlate in the same game. If Kyrie does well, Donovan Mitchell probably does well. And, you know, you hope for a blowout or something, which ended up happening. Or the production gets spread out or, or whatever. So, so I got rid of that game completely. So now, okay, now if I got rid of that game, how do I build my lineup? So I'm like, I'm going to need, I'm, uh, okay, so I'm going to, if I'm going to play Jokic in the center spot, because I faded Kyrie, so I don't need to also fade a 41 point, a 41% owned Jokic. So I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to play Jokic, I should play players on the other side of the game. It's a five game slate. There's not much, many options. So I need a, I need cheap guy. I need a cheap guy. Okay. Give me Hernan Gomez. He's on the Wolves. He's opposed to the Nuggets. Give me one of those leverage guards. Off of Kyrie Irving. Give me D'Angelo Russell. So now I have my little 2-1 little stacky stack here. Russell plus Hernan Gomez plus Jokic. Right? Because I decided to play Jokic. So this if I played Kyrie, then I probably wouldn't have played Russell or Hernan Gomez. Right? It would have been cheap Nets and Gobert there. So here you go. So Jokic plus Russell plus Hernan Gomez. And then I think in terms of, okay, well, uh, I want to play Levine or White. And I also want to play Lillard or, or McCollum, the, the, the guards that will get less ownership because Kyrie Irving is, is chalk in that position. So what fit in this lineup was McCollum plus Kobe White, right? And Kobe White was less owned than Levine. So that's kind of a little, a little bit of leverage there, right? And then, you, then at that point, you just fill out your lineup. At that point, I'm like, okay, how do I fill out this lineup without using cheap nets? I'm like, okay, Horton Tucker for 3400 Batum for 4,600 and Cantor for 5,400. And then there you go. They projected well enough. It's not like THT projected well, but still better than the garbage players, right? Batum, even before George was out, projected better than the garbage players. And same for Cantor, right? On a five-game slate, my, my threshold for how, how well they project is going to be, be lower. But don't, that, that there you go. And I didn't use a tool for this. I, that's how I put my lineup. But I'm, I'm looking at projections to see, like... I only want to use a pool of at least decently projected players. I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't going to play, you know, the third guys off the bench or anything for, for value, especially when we had cheap nets already at value, pseudo value. But I mean, the cheap nets weren't all that much better than THT or Batum or, or any of these other guys. Hernan Gomez wasn't that much better. Oh, just because Durant's out. Because that's, everyone's been thinking that the whole day. Durant's out, I'm playing Nets. Durant's out, I'm playing Nets. Durant out, I'm playing Nets. And what ended up happening is that uh, George got downgraded to, to questionable after lock, and then a lot of people didn't have the option to get Kawhi, right? A lot of people didn't because you had Kyrie, you, you played too much of the game, right? The, the Kyrie-Mitchell lineups, with it, you had to sacrifice Jokic in order to get Kawhi because you already spent too much of your salary. Right, or you didn't have a spot in your you didn't, you didn't have a small forward spot in your lineup. So, I mean, is this one of these things that you have to like plan for? No, no one had any clue. Paul George was not going to play tomorrow until after lock. 
until he became, he downgraded to questionable after lock. So you couldn't have planned, planned for it. So if you ended up with, like, I stacked the first game and I lost, because, you know, people, that that's the value of optionality. So sometimes the unexpected happens. So when you're, when you're thinking in terms of, like, well, I could do this early, I could do this late, if it's 50-50, settle for the late stuff, because you never know what's going to happen with the news. So let me go back into the YouTube chat. While I'm looking through uh, the YouTube chat, uh, hit the thumbs up button. Give me the thummy thumbs. Keep the apple juice cold. I don't even know if it is. Let me let me check. Have you been hitting the thumbs up button? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cold. Pretty damn cold. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Talking about single entry, single entry GPPs, any type of GPPs. Now, people are asking in the chat if I made any pivots to Kawhi or Lou Will. Uh, no, not in this lineup. I did an, I played, I, I played cash and then I played five lineups. In, in other lineups, I moved. This wasn't the only lineup that I played. I played four lineups in other single entry three max type of contests and uh, they didn't get there. I think, I, I, I didn't have the opt. I didn't even think I moved to Kawhi in any of them. I moved to like Lou Williams or Batum Stuff like that. It's just that I I was set. Most of my lineups were set on either uh like like the 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 Portland the Portland uh, Chicago game. So like if I played Kawhi, like it would break that up. Like I wanted to play either McCollum Lillard or Levine White. So like that that was my strategy on the slate to begin with to leverage off a guard, and then I had Jokic. By by the time I, I thought about switching, I, I I didn't have a spot. Right, so I played cheap stuff. I canard, you know, a fill-in. I changed the fill-in type of guys. Uh, let's see. Let's see through the chat. Jacob Calloway asks a game theory question. Which, I mean, everything is small stakes, small field, four K entries. NBA should I be closer to the optimal in a weak, smaller field? No. You, you, the the bigger the contest size, the further away. That you should be from optimal as long as you're gaining leverage and, and you have some correlation. It doesn't matter. Correla- Don't worry so much about correlation in NBA, but it's it's a it's a tiebreaker. Like I talk about, oh, I'm getting both sides of a game and those types of things. Like the larger the slate size, the less that that's important, right? Eleven game slate tonight. You probably don't don't have to. I'm, I'm going to play one guy on one side, two guys on the other side on a five game slate. Like how many options do you have? I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather choose guys in the same game and hope that game blows up, right, than, than anything else, because there's only, there's only five games to choose from. People are asking why Cantor, because he fit. He projected well enough and he fit. That, that's it. That's, that's, sometimes that's it, right? Everything that I went through has nothing to do with basketball, right? I just looked at projections. Once, when I look at projections, I eliminate all the garbage players, Right? I take a look at yesterday's slate. I'm not playing uh, anyone that projects like, like I'm going to scroll down here. This is today's slate, right? I'm going to go here, sort by RGV, which is salary adjusted value plus minus, right? Where is this? Where, where am I going? Okay. So I'm going to go, oh, these are the good projected guys, right? Up top, right? Oh, okay. These are the, these, these are the good plays, right? I go all over here. Like if, if like guys at the bottom, like like today I will not be playing, uh, I'm not be playing Brandon Goodwin, Right? Like I'm not I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be playing that shit, right? I'm not gonna be playing uh Nemanja Bialica, right? It projects horribly. Right? So these guys down here, Aaron Baines, no. 
based on our current projections. I'm not playing. Uh, I'm not playing uh, Doug McDermott, right? Like, look, look how many of these these guys down here that really don't project all that well for the context of the slate. Like now we start moving up to like like over here, like maybe minus one. Might like once we get some smash percentages at least in the double digits. Like okay, maybe maybe I could fill Kelly Olynyk maybe right projects well enough. Maybe maybe who's this? Drew Holiday, 23%. Like, okay, it's, an, it's a negative plus minus, but whatever. Close enough. That projects decently enough. Maybe me, Jeremy Grant could f- could find a lineup or two. Who knows? I don't know. I didn't look at the, the today's slate. But I'm like, these guys at least project well enough. But I mean, guys that are down here with like 0% smash ratings, right? 5%. Like, I, they're, they're never making my lineups. Like, I just X them out. So on yesterday's slate, you X out all those players. I mean... <laughs> You had all those players. You, you still get some players, right? Cantor was good. Cantor was like right on the line of that for fifty four hundred. So that mean that means he's eligible to me. That means he's viable to me. He could fit in somewhere depending on the lineup, and he just happened to fit here, and he's correlated, right? I was playing McCollum and Cantor from the Blazers and White from the Bulls, so it made sense. I had fifty four hundred in this spot, and it could have been could have been other people, right? But why not play Cantor? I'm already playing two guys from the game, right? Back and forth. That's the way it goes. But you have to you have to condense your pool to like who are the best projected players. That's why you use projections. Once once I see who are the best projected players on an 11 game slate, you may have a point. You may have 80, 100 people that could be viable. Could be, and then you have to go from there. Like where's where's the best place to get leverage? Okay, it's here. What 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 are the weak positions? Is, is small forward weak today? Okay, well, I see where people are going here. Is center strong? Oh, okay. A lot of people are going to congregate here. Maybe I could go in a different direction. So you could look through all that, but you still need projections to begin with to know, like, who the better projected plays. And that's typically the players that are going to be the most owned also. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's not, like, it's, not, it's not necessarily groupthink in NBA. Most NBA, the, the, all sharp NBA players use projections to some extent because... That's what everyone else uses. Why? Why not? It may the model may be slightly different, right? Maybe different variables, different different tweaks here or there. Maybe you you think a guy's going to get one extra minute versus another guy. I mean, yeah, that stuff happens. But for the most part, you just use the projections, and and you're done. You're done. You, you don't you don't have to. How much research do you have to do? Uh, Smokey Bear watched your NBA live stream for the first time yesterday, and he twenty xed. Thanks for the great insight. Way to go, Smokey Bear. Twenty X. Uh, would you? Would you? It's all a comparison, right? You don't have to win a million dollars, right? Or you couldn't win a million dollars yesterday. Uh, new to NBA, I was told defense matters. Uh, well, uh, you were told wrong. Does defense matter, or was Allen's performance an outlier? Allen got there because DeAndre Jordan had four fouls in four minutes. So I mean, he just got all the minutes, like. Here, uh, you're new to NBA, Johnny. Uh, minutes equal money, right? If you're going to be on the court for, for 35 minutes, when you normally, for your price, would only be on the court for 24 minutes, uh, you're probably going to crush, right? <laughs> right, when you get 11 extra minutes or something? Yeah, so uh, I, I think it's more like that. But the defensive efficiency is factored into the projections. And most people think that it matters. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter as much as you think. And it's already factored in there. That's that's why I don't care. I don't look at matchups because the RG projections already have it accounted for. The totals of the games are already accounted for. Everything's already accounted for in the projections. So all I need to know is to give me give me the range of outcomes and I'm good. That's it. 
seeing how Kyrie played in only three quarters, do you think it was a mistake to fade him or a likelihood that it was worth it? Well, there's a chance that that happens. And it happened yesterday. Going into that first quarter, if you were in the Roto-Grinders Discord, which you can be if you're a premium member, I'm in there all the time. So sign up for premium, rotogrinders.com slash premium, or click on the link in the description for $10 off your first month. Uh, that first quarter, like everyone in the, in, in the, in the Discord was like, oh, no Kyrie, no cash. Uh, you, you ain't going to win. You ain't going to win nothing without Kyrie Irving. It's high-owned Kyrie Irving. And uh, nope, you didn't need him, right? Didn't play the fourth quarter at all. They, they blew him out. That That's going to be part of his range of outcomes. So it's not a matter of, did you, like, look, in my lineup, I faded Kyrie Irving. I also played a lineup where I played Kyrie Irving. It's not a matter of fading or playing. It's a matter of building a lineup that's based on an outcome, not that you're predicting one. This lineup predicts the fact that no one from the the the, the Nets uh, jazz game is, is, like, optimal. Right? Doesn't mean that the game does badly or anything, but that I, that is not going to be necessary. Doesn't mean it's a blowout, no. But I would I would love for the, this lineup would love for it to be a blowout, right? It would love this lineup. But I also had a lineup where I played Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert. I played five lineups, so it's not like like so twenty percent of my lineups. One of them was I'm playing those guys, and then one is I'm not playing those guys. So. It's not a matter of do you fade or do you not. You, if you're only playing one lineup, yeah, then you have to decide. If you're playing two lineups, you could build, you could build one lineup that is for one case and one for the complete opposite. That's perfectly, and they both could project well. They both could have enough leverage, and they both could be about equal to each other. Like that's how you do thinking about lineups and not players. It's not a matter when people ask, "Oh, do oh?" I, I said I said before in 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 the, in the Discord before the slate started. People were asking me stuff. Uh, what are you doing here? And I said, I said, I'm, I'm probably fading Kyrie, in GPP. And I'm playing, and I told him I'm playing five lineups. If I'm playing a hundred lineups, I'm probably not fading anyone. Uh, but I'm playing five lineups, probably fading. It, it turns out I played him in one lineup out of five, uh, and people thought I was nuts. Like, how do you fade Kyrie Irving with no Durant in this garbage starting lineup? I'm like, well, he's going to be fifty plus percent owned. So, should he be fifty plus percent owned when he got Lillard, McCollum, Russell, Levine, White, all these other guards? Paul George at the time, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's the easiest place for me to get leverage. The two easiest places to get leverage on yesterday's slate was Kyrie Irving and Nikola, Nikola Jokic. The problem with Jokic is that if you get, if you don't play him, the center pool gets pretty bad. <laughs> so, so that's why I figured there's, there's guards to play. So I'm more likely to fade Kyrie. But it's not because I didn't think he was gonna do well. I don't care whether or not he does well. I care how do I how do I maximize my chance of winning first place? That's it. I think if Kyrie doesn't have as great of a game as everyone thinks, I maximize my chance of winning first place. How do I build a lineup that succeeds when Kyrie doesn't get sixty points? And they and here you go. You're looking at it. <laughs> You're looking at it. Okay. Uh. In the same contest you won, I switched from Porter and Levine to Kawhi and Lou Will. Wasn't the right move after? No, that was the right move. Kawhi, if we knew beforehand that George was going to sit, Kawhi was the best projected player on the slate. You'd play Kawhi over Kyrie Irving if you were able to, right? Most likely, you weren't going to play Jokic anymore. If we built this before the slate, if you built the chalk construction, 
It most probably would have been Irving plus uh, Kawhi and no Jokic. And you played, you know, Ed Davis in that spot. Or you, you, you couldn't get all three of them in. But it would be something like that. That's how well Kawhi projected once George came out. So that's why you see I pulled up in results DB. I mean, take a look at Kawhi's ownership amongst sharper players. I, I put some that maybe didn't change as much. He was 33% owned in the, in the big GPP on DraftKings. But look, I mean, that's all late swap. I mean, take a look at this. JK, 83%, 72%, 90%, 71%. These guys didn't have this much Kawhi at 7.30 Eastern, right? They had this much Kawhi at 8.45 Eastern because they swapped the hell out of it. Look, Lou Williams, 100%. Just jam him in. JK, 123, just jam him in. Lou Williams, all these, some people did, but most had some, right? Lou Williams was really not much of a play before, before George was ruled out. So like all of this, all of this is all late swap. All of this is late swap. You could even take a look at, uh, like, I mean, like stuff like, like if you had Bruce Brown in your lineup, if you had too many of those cheap nets in your lineup, you weren't able to really make a lot of these swaps, but some did. Like we see most of, most of the, the, the guys, the people, the users that didn't have as much of Kawhi is because they had too much of the early games. They just they 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 were they weren't you know right when you when you have when you have sixty four percent Kyle Anderson in your small forward spot it's kind of hard to get to Kawhi right if you're doing stuff like that if you have Anthony Davis fifty seven percent great Poupon, it's it's kind of hard well he got to Kawhi but he probably had to get off a of Jokic right he only had eight percent Jokic right so there you go. The power of late swap. If you didn't late swap last night, if you didn't even think about it, you, you got you got, you have to. These 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 are players. These are top sharp GPP players that play 150 lineups, and they're able to swap. Right? They're taking advantage of any edge that they could get throughout the night, rebuilding their lineups to maximize for 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 any new information that you get. So you should you should be doing to NBA NBA DFS is almost like a like a job, right? You have to, you have to if you find this type of stuff fun. I find it fun. It's a little bit stressful. Who's in? Who's out? Projections update. You got ten minutes to switch stuff. You're thinking, should I do this? Should I stay here? Should I do that? Yes, but that's kind of fun. At least it's something to do throughout the night. You're not just you know just watching, right? There's always there's always something going on in your mind. Should I switch here? Is this guy going to play? LeBron's always going to be questionable, so you never know, right? Most likely he plays. But it's going to be like that, like, every day. That's what NBA DFS is. So if you're not late swapping, you're, you're, you're really getting, I, I say this all the time, it's negative EV to not, to not late swap. Okay. Going through chat. Probably a dumb question. <laughs> no, I mean, nothing's a dumb question. There's only stupid people. No stupid questions, only stupid people. Probably a dumb question, but is the chalk line a pick solely off of high projected points? Yeah, of course, why not? Why, what else would you be doing? I mean, if I take a look right now, like this is, here you go, here you go. These are the early projections, 10, 10 a.m. in the morning, okay? 10, 10 a.m. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. That seven hours from now, all these projections will change. So look, based on our projections, here's the optimal line. Right? Ball, Halliburton, Kennard, Washington, Drummond, George, Batum, Gobert. There you go. 277 
6.7. Median. So it's mostly of the better projected points, right? I mean, that's, that, that is what it is. That, that's, what, that's what a cash lineup typically is. Now, if we run, for instance, 20 lineups, okay? I want to show you this for people that, that aren't aware, okay? So, okay, so here we go. These are the, these, these are the same, right? 27.7, 277.7, right? Okay, so this would be the top optimal median projected lineup. This is the second one. The second one, look at the difference between these two lineups, okay? One's 277.7, one's 277.68. It's a difference of 0.02. That's, that's like ridiculously small. And does it, what players does it not have? So we have ball, ball. Halliburton, no. Kennard, yes. P.J. Washington, yes. Drummond, yes. George, yes. Batum, yes. Gobert, no. So essentially, this is a 2v2 of Halliburton plus Gobert or Brogdon plus George, George Hill. That would be the next projected lineup. Now let's go to the next one. Oh, look, it's only down by 0.1, 0.58, right? So the difference between this top one and this third one is so small. And this one has Kelly Olynyk in it. Right? So it's a, a different players in there. Here's one that's 277.56. This is Bobby Portis and Patrick Beverly in it. Here we go. 277.48. This one has Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Middleton in it. 277.33. So, I mean, look, the difference between the first one, 277. Let's look for one median point. Okay? Let's go to go to build rules. And I'm just going to put it on, let's say, 50. Just so we get a bunch of lineups. This is just default settings. There's no, there's no, no constraints, no nothing, right? So we're running 50 lineups just based on the 10, 10 a.m. projections this morning, which probably need to need to be adjusted. So whoever wakes up in the morning has to come in on our projections team and start making adjustments. But look, lineup one, 277.7. So how far down do we get to 276.7, which is one median point? Let's see, 276.7, 276.7, 276.7, there, 24, okay? So between the top 24 lineups, based on our projections, like there's, there's only a difference of one median point in the grand scheme of a 276-point score, which is like less than a 1% difference in scoring, in median. 24 different lineups, Right, that have two v twos and three v threes galore. Uh, any of them would be viable, and in, in, in pretty much any of them would be viable in cash games. And I mean, the differences between them are going to be low. Uh, the lower this, this lineup twenty four probably will show a lower ROI over time than the top one. But the, the difference between the one and two, that point oh two difference. Uh, yes, that'll be like, you'll have you'll, you'll, one cent difference every year. Like that, that's the difference in EV, right? Like if, if you played that lineup and the second lineup uh, a thousand times, you'd see the difference in how much money you get back is like two cents, right? Yeah, yes, the top one gets two extra cents. There you go. You don't realize that EV until you run it like a million times. But we don't, we don't have, <laughs> that's not realistic, so really, the differences between number one and number two and number three and number four, like some of these up here, are so marginal that if you if 
If you played those lineups in cash games, I, I don't blame. I mean, like, what much? What much of the difference is there? There isn't that much. Now, once you get down to the fiftieth, you're still at two seventy six point two eight. You're still a point and a half off the median. Like, this is still fine. I mean, like, it's still fine. We've gone through fifty lineups, and I would look at this and go, "Okay, you're not, you're not, you're not crazy." Like, that's. Not necessarily, I probably don't need to jam in Giannis on this slate with Mason Blumley. But if you played this, if I saw this in cash games, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked or anything, right? And look how many combinations there are. So that, that's why I mean that lineups, not players. I keep on coming back to lineups, not players. I'm looking at lineups, not like, do I play Kevin Herter? Like, I don't know, Kevin, in this lineup, it makes sense, apparently. <laughs> that's what the projection says, and that's what it makes sense in. So, sure. You're playing Kevin Herter in your shirt and shooting guard spot in this lineup. Whether or not he's going to do well, who knows? I don't know. He has a range of outcomes. Based on his median, he should be in this type of lineup. And, that, and that's it. So that's, that's lineups, not players, for, for cash games, at least. Now, once you start saying, where do I find leverage? I'm going to move. I'm going to play a lot of this guy versus that guy. Then you start building lineups that have lower medians, of course. But, you're not, but you get rewarded if they hit their ceiling. So... Like you're not you're not going after a double up. You're going after first place in a you know a large field GPP. So you could sacrifice median for the sake of of, of leverage. Oh, uh, let's see. Going through going through uh, the YouTube chat. Hit that thumbs up button. Give me the thummy thumbs. Let me let me check the let me check the the apple juice. It's, the outside typically does, doesn't stay cold. No, no, you, you've been doing you've been doing pretty well, pretty well. We're only up to eighty five likes. Okay, it, it this should be warm. We have to get triple digits at least on the likes on the thummy thumbs. Come on. Uh, let's see. Jacob Calloway asks: Is it more important to have a lineup that has a higher overall product of smash percentage or overall better point per dollar after applying lineup construction strategy? Uh. I would for GPPs I would probably say smash percentage. But I mean it all those figures go hand in hand. Typically the players that have high point per dollar, high smash, high salary adjusted value plus minus are are, are very similar are, are usually connected to some extent to each other. Right? So that is there one that is more important? Probably not, but I I'd, I'd rely more on in GPPs. I probably rely more on smash percentage. Percentage, the percentile in which he hits a GPP target score more so than point per dollar. But, I mean, it, it, it really depends on the size of the contest. In large field, definitely. In smaller field, maybe you, you don't need a smash out of everyone. So maybe you side with the salary-adjusted value or the point per dollar. So like in my 330-man contest, I don't, need, I don't need all eight of my guys to smash. I won with the snowflake. Okay, I won with a, a guy with a snowflake in my lineup. It's very rare that happens in large field GPPs. So large field GPPs, you need to, like, everyone needs to smash pretty much. The smaller field, maybe you don't, you don't have to worry about that as much. PJ Frappier asks, oh, what do you make of all these blowouts? What do I make of them? I don't know. I don't make of anything of them. I know the sample size is small, but is it something you are considering in your process? Possibly more mini game stacks? Well, I correlate as it is. Most of the time, when, when given the choice, if I'm going to play Giannis in a game, I'm probably going to play a guy on the other side of the game, right? If I'm playing Luka 
and I'm probably going to play another guy from the other side of the game, right? I'm, I'm, I've, I already build like that to begin with. The correlations are weak. Just like you, you don't have to do this, especially on large slates, like 11 game slates tonight. You don't have to, but I tend to side. I, 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 at least me personally, I tend to over correlate than under correlate. And sometimes that's a weakness. So some sharper players would say that that's a leak that I weigh correlation a little too much because it's, it's very weak in the NBA. I should be weighing projection more so than correlation, but I'm, I'm kind of doing that already. If I'm going to play, if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play Embiid tonight, I'm going to probably play someone on the Wizards, right? You know, do something like that, right? If the game blows out, the lineup's dead. So I'd rather, I'd rather have a lineup. If I'm playing 20 lineups, 50 lineups, I'd rather have a lineup that has all snowflakes in it than have a lineup with six flame emojis as a snowflake, right? I don't want these guys infecting my other lineups. So, like, if, if I'm going to play Drummond, right, against Orlando, like, and I want to have an Orlando player in my pool as well, like, put them together. So if the game blows out, if the game duds, like, it just blows up that lineup. It doesn't, I could have lineups that have neither of those players in it, and those still have a chance. So, yes, you can do that, but it's not, it's not the be-all, end-all. It's not something that I'm, I'm focused on. Michael Lingelfelter with as many blowouts this year as you're using bench players to leverage for chalk starting players, I on large slates, no. On short slates, that that's more of a consideration. If you're playing two or three game slates, absolutely. Because uh, what options do you have? You know, you really don't have many options. Eleven game slates, no. On eleven game slates, you could find on larger slates, even six, seven game slates, you could find guys that are low owned that are still good. <laughs> Look, D'Angelo Russell was what twelve percent owned last night. He's a good player. Just that he was at a price range that people were uh, favoring other players in. I'm not one that I, it, I'm not one that looks for the guy that's going to get blowout run. You have to hit three times in order for that to work. Okay, if you're going to try to find who plays in a blowout, you're going to get you, that's that's a that's negative EV over time. You may get it right once in a blue moon, but it's neg- don't, I I don't think that way at all because you have to hit three times. One, the game needs to blow out. Okay. On the right, it has to blow out on the right side also, right? It has to blow out. Then that guy needs to get extra minutes because of that opportunity. Because sometimes it blows out and it's the last four minutes of the game and you don't get many extra minutes. And then in those minutes, has to put up a ceiling game, right? A 3K player still has to put up a minimum of 25 points or something to be relevant in GPPs most of the time. So the guy that normally would get 16 minutes has to now get 24 minutes and in those extra eight minutes be able to go on fire. Like, you have to hit three times. I, I don't bo- I don't bother looking at those things. Like, if the game blows out, then I'm dead. I have, on larger slates, I have so many more options that I could play good players that are going to be low-owned, that I don't need to find bad players that are going to be low-owned. So I, that's me personally. Maybe, maybe, maybe other people do. If you, if you look at sharp players' lineups, if you go through Roll ZDB, you will rarely find those players. You rarely find back of the bench, third point guard. You know the you know those types of the 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 backup the backup center. Like for a team like like Embiid, like someone playing Dwight Howard or something. You know, like you you rarely you rarely see on small slates, sure, but on anything that has any substance type of side, even on five game slates, you don't see you don't see that much, right? Because I mean, look. Jonas Valachunas was 2% owned. You could play him at 2% owned rather than go down and play Jordan McLaughlin, right? 
Oh, I'm going to play Chris Chioza. I mean, like, why? Why do that to yourself? It's not, it's not going to work. 99% of the time, you're going to waste too much money at that problem. Oh, let's see. Going through the chat. Going through the chat. Uh, Justin Sports asks, uh, Jordan, real quick, sorry to go back to bankroll stuff. No, don't be sorry. Ask whatever you want, right? Hashtag ask whatever you want. It's perfectly fine. This is the time to ask whatever you want. If we go back and forth to different stuff, that's fine. You're on YouTube. You're hitting the thumbs up button. You're the priority, dude, okay? that That's the way it is. People that watch this later, people that are going to listen on the podcast feed, screw them, right? They weren't here. So if they're listening, if you're listening on the podcast right now and you're like, well, why, why they keep on skipping around and going and, and going to talk about that thing? Well, then you got to show up. <laughs> you got to show up to keep, keep this show on its, uh, on to, to go, oh, well, they didn't even talk about today's slates. It's like, what's there to talk about? It's 11 games and everything's going to change. So let's get back to this. Uh, what's a good ITM win rate and a good ROI? What's to be considered a winning player? Well, it, in cash games, it's easy to say. In GPPs, it could be God knows what. Right, GPP is most of most of your ROI comes from winning one. So if you haven't won one yet, it's going to look pretty bad. But it, but in cash games, a good ITM would be like fifty eight percent. Anything over fifty five percent beats the rake. So if if I would consider a fifty eight percent in in cash games, double ups, head to heads, those types of things, if you have a fifty eight percent win rate ITM in the money. That's a rotor tracker term. Uh, I would consider that good. And an ROI of Two percent, right? Two, three percent. It depends on the stakes that you play. That would be that would be you would be good. I would say over a large sample size. If you just started playing NBA, it's been two and a half weeks. Like you, you can't go by that, right? You could lose for the next two weeks straight and be a losing player. Uh let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh do you use median eater for GPP, not ceiling? Yeah, it does. Most of these, most of these projections are fairly normal, distributed. We talked about distributions yesterday. I showed you what a normal distribution looks like. Most of them are normal enough that if you if you use floor versus median versus ceiling, you're not making that drastic of a difference. The the players that project well are still the players that project well, right? It, 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 the differences in the lineups maybe a half a point here and a half a point there. Uh, do I have to get that precise? No, you can get that precise, but I don't buy it. The time to care about half a points here and half a points there in, in GPPs, I care more about leverage. I care more like I, I, as long as all the players in my lineup and the lineup projects well enough, whether or not one projects a half a point higher than the other doesn't, uh, doesn't concern me as much. So feel free to use meeting, feel free to use ceiling projections. Feel, I mean, they end up coming out kind of the same way anyway, right? You could tell. Should uh, smaller money players, this is from Steve Waller, should smaller money players, $50 a day, stick to single entry plays for the best chance of winning? Uh, for for the lowest variance, yes. You can play, you could play $50 a day and play in the large field stuff. Just understand that you're going to be bleeding a lot of money. You could build great lineups for it. It's just, obviously, it's very hard to, to win a large, you know, 100,000 entry type of contest. So... You, you could play every day this season and lose every single day. And then on the one day that you win, you win $100,000. So, like, you could still do that. But uh, it, it's going to be it's gonna be hurtful on your bankroll. You have to have a big enough bankroll to sustain that, which you can. That's what I did. I played the 20 maxes, $4, whatever. 
I wouldn't play 20 backs. I'd play five lineups into it. Or I'd play the large field GPP, but I'd play 10 lineups into it. You don't have to play 150. And build lineups that can win those tournaments. Don't be scared. If you're going to play with scared money, like if you're like, oh, I, I, I need to cash, then play single entry, play double ups, play smaller field stuff. If you're not going to build for large field contests, don't play them. It's, it's, you're going to bleed your money away. And what I mean by don't, don't play the cash lineups. Don't play. You got you got to think in terms of like remember the the YouTube the the, the Discord chat people. You're going to fade Kyrie, and I was doing that in small field, and people thought I was nuts. Yeah, you you have you have to be uncomfortable. You have to say, well, this guy could just fail. I know he's going to be sixty percent owned, but he shouldn't be. He should probably only be forty percent owned. So I'm just going to I'm going to make one lineup and play him in a large field GFP, and I'm going to fade him. And then he goes off for 65 points. And then you just have to be able to close your laptop and say, okay, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. Like that, you're, you have to go in fully comfortable losing. Fully comfortable, knowing that I'm building a, a lineup that is not optimal from a projection standpoint. But if in this case that this guy fails and that guy fails, this lineup has a great chance of winning first place. That won't happen every day. That 90% of the time it won't happen, right? And you're sitting there with the nothing. But that, that's how you play large field GPPs. So if you're not willing to play that way, don't play them. Uh, Bluegrass Jeffs, I'm new to game theory. Can you explain 2v2 and 3v3 lineups? Well, that, that, those are just terms to describe the differences between two lineups. There's no like game theory to them. It's just like the difference between this lineup and this lineup is two players versus two players. So whenever you see the terminology 2v2, 1v1, 3v3, it just means that that this, this lineup and this lineup share six players and there's two players different from one another. So when, when you hear someone's like, oh, I lost on a 1v1, that means the, play, the, the lineup above them had, a, had the seven same players and one different player from that, play, from that person. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Right, Trudon FM says it very well sometimes. I think the 10K plus guys almost always need a bring back because they need so much production to smash their salary. Yeah, a lot of times I think that way. If they if there's a well-projected player on the other side. But we see also with blowouts that a 10K guy could get could get 70 points and there's no one on the other side that gets there, right? I mean, that, that can't happen. But yes, I am more likely, doesn't mean I always do it, I'm more likely to look at Playing a guy from the other side of the game, the more expensive that the, the stud is. More inclined. Doesn't mean I do it all the time. Just everything in DFS is more likely or less likely, not a yes or a no. Uh, is it true that in more sharper fields, contrarian becomes more chalky, generally speaking? No. Actually, the opposite. Typically, the more sharper fields are smaller field contests where you don't have to get that contrarian. You want to get some contrarian, but not that contrarian. So for instance, Kyrie Irving last night in, in the contest that I was in, like we take a look at results DB. In the shoot around, which is the large field GPP, Kyrie Irving was 40% owned and Jokic was 34% owned. In my small field single entry contest, Irving, if we go back to where where's Empire's line? Someone's lineup. Show, show me a lineup. Someone. 
So I could, I could get the, the ownership here. It's somewhere, somewhere over the rainbow. Where, where'd he go? Oh, there he is. There he is, right there. Okay. See, look. So we see before in the large field contest, the large GPP, Kyrie was 40% down. Jokic was 34. My contest, Irving was 53% owned and Jokic was 41% owned. So the chalk was chalkier. And because the chalk is chalkier, I get more relative value by fading them, right? Because more of the field has them. So that was my, that's exactly what my thought process is. When I say that in single entry contests, I am more contrarian. This is what I mean, right? I know that more players are going to have Irving. More players are going to have Jokic. More players are going to have Levine. So I get extra, there are more lineups with them. So if I if I get more points than those guys, I, I gain more places in the standings. That's why I could play a 12% white, 20% McCollum, 13%, right? I didn't play Kyrie Irving. And these guys did better. Russell did better. I gained seven points on more of the field by playing Russell. I gained, look, 12% down Kobe White, 42.50. Levine put up uh, uh, 40 for 1,300 more salary. So I was able to fit in more points. I had Batum at 9%. So Batum was 9% in this single entry, and Batum in the large field was 10%, right? That was mostly during the late swaps, those types of things. But the chalk is chalkier in the single entry of the smaller field stuff. So it's not, so people don't get more contrarian. Yes, they may get one spot and we're contrarian. They build better projected lineups. Sharper players are more likely to build better projected lineups with some leverage point in it. But in general, the chalk becomes chalkier, which means it's easier to leverage off something in those types of contests. Corey Stevens asks, do I prefer... Larger slates or five to seven game slates? I prefer larger slates. 11, that's a lot. I like the nine, like give me nine games. Like nine games, that's good. I'm, I'm good with nine games. I, I want as many leverage points as possible. I want as many options as possible. The more decisions that you need to make favors people that make better decisions. So I want more of them. When you have the, the, the smaller slates, when you have a four game slate, it's kind of hard to really screw it up that badly, Right? It's, it, there's aren't, aren't many options. So, like, oh, I'm going to just play this guy instead of that guy, but my lineup still kind of looks the same as everyone else's. In a large, today's 11-game slate? Like, dude, there, there's going to there's gonna be numerous players in the mid-range, 7K, 8K, 9K range, that are going to be 5% or below owned. Like, it's, it's a leverage smorgasbord, right? It's a buffet of leverage. So I, I like that. I like having those options. In a smaller slate, you don't. You don't get those. Uh, let's see. Do you still leave 200 or more in salary on a DK on a slate this size? I mean, not necessarily. If it, fits, if it fills out that way, it fills out that way. I don't mind leaving 200 on the table. If it fits, it fits. Sometimes there's no other player that gives you any more projection for more salary. So you, so you leave it there. You're probably not leaving 1,000 on the table. You're probably not doing that. Okay, let's see. We only got a couple of, oh, we're actually in overtime now. 
If the slate locked in 10 minutes, would you be playing Paul George or would you fade like Kyrie? Are we talking about this past slate, Matthew P? Would you fade? No, I still would have faded. Kyrie was going to be owned anyway. That was, that was my strategy on that slate for that lineup, was to, to fade Kyrie and, get, and play the other guards. George would have been one of those other guards also, so yes. So I could have done that as well. Mike B, okay, here, here's, here's, you need to do some math. You need to do some just basic math concepts, Mike B. Looking at the quarter arcade and the higher stakes, it seems players in the quarter arcade, whoa, are getting higher scores. Why? It's small. The first place amongst a lot of entries is always going to be higher. You have more opportunity. There's more entries. Like that, this is the biggest misconception of like, oh, I won with the 334. Yeah, because I'm only playing against 333 opponents. In the quarter arcade, you're playing against, who knows, how many, how many, let's see, let's go down, do we have the quarter arcade here? We have the 20, the Minimax, the 150 Minimax here, that's 59,500 entries, okay? So let's take a look at the Minimax. So this is a 50 cent concept, right? 50, okay, no, they, they didn't even update, they didn't update this yet, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to look at it later. They didn't update it here. But you take a look at the smaller stakes. Let's see, the N1, that is 83,000 entries, right? The winning score was 385, right? That, based on this, this is what it is. Patrick Beverly was needed, right? 1%. Look, look at this lineup in the N1. It's, it's a $1 contest. Beverly, Russell, Barton, Hernan Gomez, Allen, Lillard, Temple, Jokic, pretty much the nuts, Right? Jokic, you got Jokic's 70, you got Allen's 54, you got Hernan Gomez's 46, you got Russell's 58, and you got Beverly's 48. Like, at what, especially at 1% ownership. There's just so many, Mike, there's just so many more entries. Like, this lineup doesn't exist because there's 83,000, there's 83,000 people. It's not the stakes that matter. It's just that there's a lot more lineups to compete against. The likelihood of someone building this lineup in, 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 out of 333 people is less. This is why it's this is why it's hard to win the Millie Maker, but not that hard to win the Thunderdome. If you wanted to play the 5300 Thunderdome, you could reasonably win that. It's a 30-man contest. It's not it's not hard. You don't need a lot. You don't need a big score. You just have to beat out the 29 other people in that contest, the sharpest players in the world in that contest. But they're, they're not building lineups to score 385 points. They just have to beat 29 people. So you shouldn't be building a lot. This is not a lineup that you build for the Thunderdome, right? You don't build lineups that you have to get lucky on Allen. You're not playing Kyrie and you're playing Lillard. You're playing none of the cheap nets. Like, because you don't need a 385 point score to win the Thunderdome. You don't need that. So don't, you shouldn't build lineup. Coming in first by a hundred points doesn't get you anything more. So build a lineup that could be 29 people. So that's, that's the reason. It's not the stakes it's the field size. If the if the hey if the Thunderdome was an eighty three thousand person contest, you'd see the three you'd see that score win because there's so many more lineups in there. Uh, let's see, going through the going through the questions. Can we get one more before we get out of here? As always, I'm the, I'm here every morning at eleven in the morning. So if I don't get to your question today, feel free to come by and post it again. Post. I mean, I'll, go back to previous shows. I, I guarantee you, some of the regulars here, they're going to be gonna be on YouTube hitting that thumbs up button. Uh, in the morning, they're going to get sick of me answering the same questions over and over again. 
right? We're gonna next week. It'll be I'll, I'll be answering the same exact question I answered the Tuesday before that. But that's fine. That's what this show is for. So so it, it also allows you to get concepts a little bit more drilled into your heads. So so you'll come tomorrow, and 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 ask your question. Okay, Michael Hitchcock, should lineups in 600-person contests be different than lineups in 100-person contests? I, technically, yes, but they probably don't look all that much different. Like, the difference between a 100-person contest and 600-person contest is probably not all that drastic. So I, I wouldn't concern myself as much about that. But the difference between a 600-person contest and an 83,000-person contest, yeah, that, that's dramatic, right? The difference between 600 and 100-person. 100-person, you could almost kind of put in your cash lineup. Almost. Like, that would still be fine. I wouldn't worry so much about the differences between 100 and 600. Uh, Bluegrass Jeff, I've learned more about DFS um, from this podcast in the last two days than I have the last two years playing. Well, thank you, Bluegrass Jeff. Just don't beat me in the contest now. I'm, I'm building better players. That's what I'm doing. Hopefully you don't come after me. All right, here's the same same type of question. Jacob Calloway. Would you treat a 5K field relatively the same as a 30K field in regards to how contrarian you build? Yeah, that there would be somewhat of a difference, but not like not that dramatically. 5K field versus a 30K field, yeah. But just understand understand the concept. Don't don't get so concerned about what's the what's the line. What's the I'm playing a 2,000 field contest versus a 5,000. Just know the larger the contest, the more leverage you need. The smaller the contest the less leverage you need. So that, 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 that's it. Just think of it as a scale, not as an actual, well, there's a difference between a 4,999 person contest and a 5,000 person contest. Like the, what's the difference between 2,000 versus the 5,000? Just know that as you go up, think when you're building your lineups, what type of contest am I playing? Okay, I'm playing a 300-man contest. Okay, well, then I don't have to go like nuts. But I still have to find leverage somewhere. I need to find a little bit. Right now, let's say you're building for the for the and one the one dollar eighty three thousand entry contest. Now you're going into that, going okay. Now you have to start thinking of uh, who's the chalk and who am I fading? Right, like that's how do I build lineups around fading chalky players? Doesn't mean you have to fade all the chalky players, which is like, how do how do I build around there? Right, because it's an eighty three thousand person contest In a three hundred person contest. You're probably thinking of like where's my one leverage point and I'm good type of type of way. But you don't have to concern yourself. Well, what's the difference between an eighty-three thousand person contest and a forty thousand person contest? It's it's still really it's still really big. It's still really big. You should still probably be thinking that way. Uh, let's see. Can we get one more question? One more question. Do I have a limit on how big a GPP field is? Do you typically stay under a thousand entries? It, it depends on your style of play. I, I, in the past, for most of my time playing DFS, I've been primarily a large field GPP player. I have multiple five and six figure wins, first place wins in NFL, NBA, and MLB. Playing the large field, playing the 15, playing the, the fadeaway, right? Playing the shoot around. Oh, that's what they're calling it today, right? 54,902 entries. So I've won, I've won this before several times. But it's 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 a bankroll sucker, right? I mean, you're losing ninety plus percent of the time, and you're you're hoping to win one or two a year, right? A year, uh, and smaller field contests, uh, the swings are, are are smaller. So my New Year's resolution this year was 
to focus more on single entry three max smaller field contests. Doesn't mean I don't play these also. Depends on the slate. But I just I never focused on the smaller field stuff before. Doesn't mean I'm not good at them. Look, I want look. I won. I won one yesterday. I mean, I literally, like my news resolution was January 1st. And I turned a hundred bucks into 5,000 winning one. Yeah, it could, it could have been 10,000. It could have been in another contest. You're right. I could have won whatever $1,500 contest with this, but small steps, right? I, I need to focus more. It doesn't mean I'm not good at single entry three max builds. It's just that I never focused on it. But now that I'm focused on it, I didn't play the large field stuff yesterday. So that's what I would suggest to you. Like find, find your strength and focus on that until you get comfortable enough where it's like, okay, now I want to expand. I was the very same way when it comes to just even playing NBA DFS. I didn't start playing NBA DFS until 2017. I started with soccer in 2015, baseball 2016, NBA 2017, football 2017. I, I expanded from there. I didn't play everything all at once. So maybe that's what you need to do when it comes to the, the, the contest sizes that you play. Focus focus on getting... I Be good at one thing rather than be like mediocre at like six things. You'll make, you'll make more money at DFS. Like if, the, if you, hey, if you want to focus and be like, I want to be the best three-man, five-man field, you know, like the, the, the non-guaranteed contest. Like you want to do that? Do that. That's perfectly fine. There are plenty of people that do. I know, I know, I know, I know one person in particular that like crushes the three and five-man lobby. Just crushes it. Because a lot of times most people play their cash, cash lineups in those contests. And he crushes it, but that, and that's a specialty. You don't see him on top of the leaderboards anywhere, right? Makes plenty of money doing that. Oh, let's see. Any, any last questions before we get out of here? Any last questions? Hit that thumbs up button on your way out. Hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to know when we go live on this channel. Uh, Anthony Fila asks if I play NASCAR and NHL. Not yet. Uh, a, B, should people stick to the three to a hundred man leagues to build the bankroll? I'm assuming you're talking about, about uh, FanDuel. You don't have to stick to it. I mean, those are a certain type of contest. Like you could build a bankroll in, in any type of contest. It's just a matter of how much variance you have, right? Obviously the large field GPPs, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of variance. In the, in the smaller contest, you're not going to have as much variance, but still at the end of the day, you have to play well. Right? You should be focused. So many people, so many people focus on what contests do I play? What stakes do I play? What type of this? Like everything other than building good lineups. The first thing you need to focus on is building good lineups. If you don't get the construction strategies, if you don't get comp- concepts like correlation and leverage, if you don't understand what projections are, like there's no contest the selection strategy. There's no bankroll management. There's nothing that will help you, right? Those things matter for when you are a good player. So become a good player first. Build good lineups first. Understand the game theory of DFS, which you could, you could, if you want to, you could, you could take my course. I have a 15 hour course where that, that teaches you everything, right? All the concepts I talk about on the show, are in here. It's an audio course, 15, 15 hours, right? So it's me in your pocket. Most of the questions that I answer here are, I, they're, they're in here. They're, they're in here. It applies to any sport. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick it up, 
And you could refer to it at any time. It's evergreen. You could listen to this three years from now, and it still applies. It's the game theory of DFS. How to think like a professional DFS player. A little tagline there. So go there. They're, it's technically the sponsor of the pregame show, right? This is kind of kind of my deal here. So uh, so I'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow, right? Back tomorrow. Back with more apple juice. Keeping keeping the apple juice cold with the thumbs up and the subscribes and the reviews on iTunes. I, I feel like I, I I've been saying that like eighteen times this, this show, but I mean. You got, you got, you got to pimp it out, right? They tell you you need more thumbs up. Okay, here you go. Here's more thumbs up. Here, da, 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 da. I got the thumbs working all the time. So, uh, so in, until tomorrow, come, come by for more questions, and feel free to show up every weekday, eleven in the morning, here on on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel on the Roto Grinders website for the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.